0: Merrill Memo with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Merrill Memo. Well folks, it looks like a decision has been made in regards to whether or not the Dubbo Regional Council Chambers needs to be moved. So today we're going to find out what was the decision. We'll also look into what Council is trying to do to help resolve the problems surrounding short-term worker accommodation in our region. I'll also, also look into addressing the current issues that the Macquarie Conservatorium of Music is currently facing. Hello there, Matt. How are you this morning?
1: I'm alive, I'm You're alive. Your guilty.
0: He survived, folks. He's got back from the black dog in one piece. Tell it us about was, it. How would it
1: all go? It was really good. They had record numbers. Over 350 people participated. Wow, it's I great numbers. It is fantastic numbers. The best they've ever had. This was their 10th anniversary ride. And I mentioned last week, work, rest, play here. were good enough to lend me a Yamaha
0: Tenere 700. Except it was obviously a very safe bike.
1: Well, it was a bike. It's on two wheels, so I'm not <laughs> sure if that's always a safe thing. And I had a few various friends lend me bits and pieces of pants and jacket and gloves and things. I had my own helmet, so Wonderful. I had Wonderful. enough bits and pieces. If I did go and have a little slide along the bitumen, at least I had a few bits and pieces of Excellent. safety gear there, which I didn't do, which was exciting and
0: fantastic. Oh, Pleased to see you back there, buddy.
1: Yes. <laughs> Thank you. So we rode from Dubbo to Narrowmind. There was a Narromine Car Club show on, so that was great. Lots of people there. Nice. And they were all pretty excited to see all these motorbikes and a few trikes ride up, so that was fantastic. Then we rode from Narrowmind to Colli. Yes, I'm sure the Coli pub where we had lunch would love this to happen every week because... Oh, it would have been humming, I'd say. <laughs> humming. <laughs> the pub was packed. Was wonderful. And they had a, a few various groups that were there to serve some extra food because they couldn't have coped with the amount of food that needed to right. served from yes, the pub. Yes. Did a, an auction and I talked to a couple of the organisers and they had basically a laser-cut device. It looked like a, a sprocket, but right. it was laser-cut to show the 10th anniversary. And they were hoping they might collect five or six hundred dollars maybe on a really good day maybe even eight hundred dollars at the auction well three thousand dollars that went for at the auction yeah and there's some
0: generous people isn't there
1: there are some very generous people out there but and it wasn't all about fundraising but obviously it's nice to raise some funds it's about mental health awareness Mm. and just having a bunch of blokes sitting around making sure they're okay and talking to each other and it was great just the amount of noise in the pub from the conversation from lots of people and there were females there as well but it was mainly yes. males yes. but the other thing that I noticed was riding on the road from mine to... Colli, just let me note for the moment that this is not a Dubbo Regional Council road.
0: <laughs> a few potholes were there?
1: Well, the potholes weren't too bad, but right. certainly there were sections, a number of sections there where the organisers actually had people stationed at spots where there were roadworks being done. Really? To yes. the point where there was just gravel on the road. And you yes. can imagine on a oh, motorbike. Bike,
0: they don't normally go together very no, well. No, not really yes. that
1: well. So there were sections of maybe five metres, ten metres, maybe a bit longer where there were gravel sections of the road. Mm. So it's not just Dubbo Regional Council roads <laughs> that are in <insane. laughs> out there everywhere. That's right. Yeah. Our roads aren't great. I accept that. Mm. But roads everywhere aren't great at the moment. But mm. again, no one fell off. There were no injuries. No one got hurt. Oh, With good. that many motorbikes yeah. riding together, there's always that possibility that something could happen. Mm. And that's always, I'm sure, a risk for the organisers of mm. any event like that, that you've got all these motorbikes there. So mm. nothing happened there. Good day. Lots of Nice and warm too, apparently it would have been. Must have been oh, about 40 degrees. sure. Yeah. yeah. And again, I made sure I was rugged up with my safety gear on, yes. but it was pretty hot. And you might think, well, that's all right. You're riding along at 100 k's an hour and you've got lots of nice wind coming past you, but the wind was mm. hot as well. So <laughs> it didn't help that much. But look, that's part of the... part. You look to say you've lost about 3 k's too, <laughs> yeah, might That's there right. It is. Probably did on the day, actually. <laughs> but well done to the organisers. Wayne Amore yeah, is someone absolutely. that I've known for a long time. Went to school with Wayne and oh, he right, was yes. one of the main organisers. His wife, Judy, was obviously very instrumental, Good. but they've had a committee and that committee's changed over the 10 years. But they're great to see organisations like that mm. out in the community doing some great work and people supporting them. That was a really exciting part. People were supporting it, which was fantastic. So I'm alive. I've returned. The first thing that I was asked when I dropped the motorbike back to work rest play here was, what bike do you want for next year? I said, hold on, let me just get
0: past <laughs> <off> today first. recovered <laughs> recover we'll from the first one. That's, that's right, it. I'll see how I go next year. Uh, well, welcome back, back. Welcome back. Thank you. All right. Well, you had a very busy week this week, didn't you? Because, of course, it was the monthly council meeting. Now... One of the very first things we're going to talk about today is this, we've sort of discussed it over the last little bit in regards to the moving of the council chambers. Now a decision looks like though has been made on this, a resolution's uh, come about, so are the Dubbo Regional Council Chambers, are they going to be moved? Indeed they are. They are, Okay. Uh-huh.
1: And you're right, we have talked about it before, because we've gone through a process where it's gone through our standing committee meeting, Mm -hmm. and now it's come to council. So two weeks ago, went to standing committees, and the idea of those, as we've talked about, is not to make a decision, Mm -hmm. but to discuss things. And standing committees, when you meet, you've got a different person chairing the meeting. You've got the ability to discuss them at greater length. You've got slightly different rules of debate with standing committee meetings. In a council meeting, you get one bite at the cherry. So when you get up to make your point, when you get up to enter the debate, you get one chance to enter the debate in a council meeting. So if you get up and say, oh, I think we should do this for these reasons here, mm. and then you listen a bit more of the debate and you think, oh, I want to add something else there, and late. you stand up, I say, sorry, Councillor Barnes, mm. you've already had your say, you've entered the debate, you've had your say in the debate, you get one chance. That's it, right. Whereas okay. a standing committee meeting, you can continue to enter the debate as many times as you like. So you've yep. just got some slightly more relaxed rules around debate. So you flesh things out a bit further. We did that at the standing committee meetings. It was a unanimous vote at that time. Hmm. And as I said to you previously, that doesn't mean it will be a vote in favour of it at a council meeting because things can happen. More information can come to hand, more feedback from the community. A whole range of different things can happen. But in this scenario, councillors were quite comfortable with it. There were some comments around making sure it still looked like a professional council meeting yep. area rather where we convert. a
0: tables sort of put out on a That's know, right. Tuesday afternoon sort of thing. And so
1: councillors they weren't so much concerned but the message was given to the staff to make sure it does look professional mm. make sure it's got a look of seriousness about it not just as you say a couple of tables yep. stuck around we'll just make a quick decision and then move on. It needs to reflect the seriousness of the decisions that are being made at council, mm. but the staff, again, what they've been looking at already, have had that in the back of their mind, and so when that's all set up, that will look that way, and I'm sure if it doesn't, our councillors will say, no, we need it to look like a serious area, but then it can be converted back to normal meetings, and then the decision will be made as to what to do with the old chambers, there'll be some office staff, well, some office space there with staff in there, it might free up across the road, we talked about 69 Church Street, it might yes. free up, the staff might be able to come across, And we've lots of options there, but I think it's a good decision because it just seems like a waste of space, a waste of resources to have a dedicated area to be used twice a month. So anyway, a good move all around.
0: Now in regards to the the council meeting, uh, it looks as though there's been a decision that's been made in regards to the drinking water management system. Um, Now... There's obviously an annual report that comes out every year in regards to uh, what happens in regards to our, our water in town and how it's all going and our, our management system of our water. Has, has this always gone through through council or is this a, a resolution now that's showing that these decisions on how our water system is running here, is that now starting to go through council? Like What's actually happening? What's the changes that's been taking place now in regards to this resolution?
1: It's a little bit sad that we've had to do this, but it's because of the lack of fluoride and the fact that the community didn't know about the lack of fluoride. yes. There is a report that's one of the – we've got lots of things we've got to do, the legislator that council has to do. One of the things we have to do is we have to provide an annual report to Public Health, Western New South Wales Local Health District, to give a report on our water treatment processes throughout the year. Mm. It's a fairly extensive report. I've read some of the previous reports. I can't remember, maybe 40, 50 pages long. That sort of detail level of report – Now, the problem is that those previous reports that we had sent through in terms of council had sent through to the government indicated there was no fluoride in the water. The executive summary said there was no fluoride in the water. Mm. The director responsible at council at the time would have had to have seen that report. It would have gone from the staff at the water treatment plant through the director and obviously then off to the government, probably through the CEO as well. Mm. I can't imagine that a report that was legislated, it was mandated, that was a serious report, would not have been glanced at at the very least by the CEO of the day. And I would hope to think at least the mayor knew, maybe councillors knew, but maybe councillors didn't know. But I've got no evidence to show exactly where it went and who knew about it, mm. apart from the fact that obviously the director would have had to have known about it. Mm. As a result of that, we've talked about it before, three and a half years before the community knew no fluoride was in the water. I didn't know there was no fluoride mm. in the water once we found out. We engage public works to fix the problem and told the community about it. So we've said now as a council resolution, and council resolutions aren't to be treated lightly. They're nothing to be trifled with. Mm. A council resolution is something that the actual staff need to follow. So we've now resolved that each year that report that they do anyway... Yep that goes through to the government will also go through to the April meeting of council okay. each year.
0: So now council will know about it.
1: Councilors.
0: And councillors will all know about it.
1: Know about it. And the community will know right. about it because obviously the business papers that go out for council meetings are yep. public documents. So that means if anything like that happens in the future, mm. then the councillors will say, hold on, there's a report here and I can see that... and Forget about fluoride, whatever might be happening with our drinking water. I can see some issues here with our drinking water. What's the go with that? They can ask the staff the relevant questions. How do we fix that? And the public can also read that and say, I just read a report and it said this and this and this about our drinking water. Mm -hmm. What are you doing about it? What's happening with it? A whole range of things there. So, again, it's all about that openness, that transparency, the accountability, which, again, you shouldn't need a resolution to say bring that through. But what we're doing is we're looking at mistakes of the past and trying to put processes in place to stop those happening again in the future. As much Mm. as we can say, we've got a fantastic group of councillors, we're doing everything wonderfully, we don't know what the group of councillors are going to look like after September next year, or in another five years, 10 years, 20 years time. So one of the things that this council's focused on is putting processes in place that can make sure that if there are issues that pop up like happened with the last council, we've got processes that try and minimise the fallout from those as much yep. as possible.
0: And I suppose the other part about that is too, is you get to, um, I just say, you get a say in regards to what some of these systems are in place, have been you know coming through in the past that you haven't heard about, now all of a sudden you're going to get a call on it. Tell me, in regards to the fluoride, what, where are we up to with this? Is, is is fluoride now in our system or is there a change now happening? Like, uh, I know, again, we talked about this a little while ago, but where are we up to in regards to it?
1: So the tenders closed to update the system to put fluoride back in the water. Yep. They closed at the end of February. Okay. Normally, with tenders, we would have had our staff assess it and be back through a council meeting and have a decision. With this one, because it is to do with our drinking water, there yep. are a couple of processes we've got to go through in addition to our staff looking at it. We actually did engage New South Wales Public Works to help with that system because it's a fairly complicated tender process. Yep. So they've been involved in the assessment. And then we've also got another government department that we've got to go through to run those tenders past right, okay. before it finally comes back through to council, whether it be a standing committee meeting or a council meeting to actually say, yes, this is the company that's won that tender. Once that's done, then we can say, okay, now you've won the tender, please go on. There's a lot of checks and balances along
0: the way, isn't there, I suppose. Exactly
1: right. And we talked about it before that even the fluoride dosing system, we're changing that system. Uh, On advice from New South Wales Public Works, there is a better storage and dosing system available Mm. now than the one we had. So we're changing that as well. We have said from the time that we found out about this, our target date was 30 June this year. We're now at the end of March. Well, once a successful tenderer has been nominated and, and they know that they've won the tender, then that'll be the time to get that information through but we've only got three months left
0: and there's a fair bit of building involved to get this sorted out Is there's there as a well? bit of work involved okay. in that
1: so I'm still hopeful that 30 June can be met but we really won't know for sure until that successful mm. tender and then we say please give us your timeline yeah. and then we'll communicate that but I'm okay. hopeful but maybe maybe not 100% hopeful that we'll get mm. there by the end of June no worries. but we'll communicate that with the community either way excellent <laughs>
2: Now, Matt, this next one's an
0: important one because it is a problem across the board when it comes to accommodation. Now, this one's in regards to short-term worker accommodation within our local government area. Accommodation per se across the board right now is is a real problem, isn't it? You know, we've got issues across the board in rental. We've got issues across the board in, uh, you know, our kids coming through and affordability and all these sort of things. There's some real issues here. I'd like to discuss with you today in regards to council's role, and in particular in regards to the short-term work accommodation, because as we've talked about a few times on uh, on our podcast, there's a lot of things in the pipelines that are going to bring in a lot of people into this area at a short-term level, I'd suggest. A lot of workers coming in, you know, the fly-in, fly-out type guys. Do we have accommodation here in our region that's going to be able to meet the growing needs, or... I suppose, from the point of view of council, is there anything that council can do to try to help to support what is going to be an influx of a lot of people here?
1: One of the really interesting things is that this problem happened at various times across the state for various projects that might occur. Hmm. And there are some councils that I've seen over my time involved with council that say, we don't want those workers here. It's a real pain for our community to have them or buildings are built and then they're left vacant after they move out. So we don't want them here. And there are other communities who say, Well, it's going to happen. Mm. How can we embrace that? How can we take advantage of that? And we know it's only short term, so let's get in quickly and take advantage of it.
0: Where do we sit? Are we an embracing group?
1: Well, we are, and certainly our group of counsellors are saying this is an opportunity. We've got a whole range of opportunities. Now, one of the problems is that anecdotally, we are going to see lots of people come along in our community. Mm. But I'm not the greatest fan of making decisions on an anecdote. Mm. And the old saying is that the plural of anecdote is anecdotes. The plural of anecdote is not data. So Mm. you can have as many anecdotes as you like. It doesn't actually mean you've got data. What we did as a council then is we went out to a consultancy firm and said, we want you to give us some data, some information as best as you possibly can. Again, none of this is an exact science because there are so many variables, but as best as you possibly can, analyse what we will see
0: in our community. Who actually did the consulting for the for the short-term accommodation?
1: So our staff engaged a company called Delos Delta. Okay. I'm not familiar with them.
0: No, our staff obviously no. went through and analysed. Obviously a very professional organisation, no doubt.
1: Yeah, that's right. And they analysed the various organisations out there that could do this type of work and engage them. We went out to a consulting firm and said, give us the information to tell us exactly what you think will happen in terms of that accommodation, those accommodation requirements. Yep. And it came back quite interesting, and, and we'll go back one step from that. They consulted with a number of groups. So they consulted with Inland Rail, Energy Co., New South Wales Health, Charles Sturt University, the Real Estate Institute of New South Wales, Australian Strategic Materials, Regional New South Wales, which is a government wow. department. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Chamber of Commerce, Development Industry. So Some great groups there that that's had a right. big influence. Huge yeah. range of stakeholders there. Yeah. And what they found was that we've been using a number anecdotally, that said maybe around 5,000 workers will be required in the short term. Okay, The data they came back with was actually more than that, and they actually started to break it down. So Inland Rail, they think there'll be about 250 short-term workers required for Inland Rail. Inland Rail doesn't actually go through right. Devote Regional Council, LGA. Right. Narrowmine is as close as it gets, but Narrowmine won't be able to handle the influx of workers for yep. Inland Rail, so some of them will end up staying in our LGA. Yep. You've got the Regional Rail Maintenance Facility, about 120 workers for that. The Central West and Irana Regional, uh, sorry, the Central West and Irana Region Renewable Energy Zone. Yep. 3,900 wow. workers for that yeah, one. That's massive. The Australian Strategic Materials Project out at Toongai. Now, that hasn't gotten off the ground yet, but assuming it does, about 1,000 for mm. that. Mm. The Fletcher International Exports Processing Plant, a new facility out there, 400 for that. Right. So, Transport for New South Wales. Isn't there? That's yeah, right. Yeah. Just for Transport for New South Wales, some of the projects they're doing, about 500 for that. Yep. So, a whole range of that. So, that's over 6,000. And when you look at some of the graphs, and all this is in our reporting, if you want to have a look through our business papers, mm. if you look at some of the graphs there, The influx of workers required will go through to maybe the next decade, somewhere around the year 2032, 2033. It's a genuine
0: investment in in a long-term project, really, isn't it? Correct. So then
1: we say, well, that's great if you think it's great or that's terrible if you're worried about accommodation and worried about our kids being able to find somewhere they could possibly afford to Mm. rent or buy, for example. Mm. You've got all these variables in there, but we want to make sure we've got somewhere for them to stay and even if neighbouring LGAs that might be impacted by some of these extra workers, if they want to shut the doors and say, we don't have anywhere for you to stay, there's no room at the inn, Mm. then sure, come over here and it means if we've got to put buses on to transport you to neighbouring LGAs then so be it because we want these people buying food at our supermarkets yeah, or going out to absolutely. our restaurants or going to our theatre or our movies. So we want them in our community as much as possible so, for so a number of reasons. One, we want the short-term injection of income. But yeah. the second thing is, at some point, these people have to choose where they live day to day. And if they decide that, mm, this doesn't look too bad here, yeah, absolutely. I might stay here rather than staying where I normally live, well... We've got those short-term workers that turn into permanent workers. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. not be buddy.
2: No,
0: that's all good because the question will obviously be is where do we currently stand here in our region in regards to catering this? Can we cater for this influx of 6,000 people on our current... Sort of structure. Do we have enough accommodation for these people?
1: We definitely don't have enough accommodation. Absolutely. Okay. No, no way known to mankind do we have enough accommodation. So there's a few things that we're looking at from a council perspective. What can we do? Now yeah. we can do things with some of our zoning. And so one of the ideas, and again, this report, which is worthwhile having a read through for anyone mm. that's interested out there, but we can do some things with zoning. So one of the things we might have zoning that might accommodate low density residential accommodation. But some of these short-term projects they don't really want a beautiful four-bedroom house with six or 800 square metres of dirt around it because these people might be working long shifts Then if someone would have a shower and go to bed and keep working long shifts, they might work for a week and then off they go. And it might even be something where there might be a project that says we've got someone in for a week, they go back home for a week and someone else comes in for that week. So the actual company itself might rent the facility or buy the facility and it just has their workers going through it. So things like that, for example, we might, and again, these are all Mm. proposals, these are ideas we're putting forward to try and maybe make some changes that are relevant, Mm. we might say that that low-density residential area could be medium-density for five years Mm. and then revert back to low-density. Now, the advantage of that is that any Company or any developer that wants to come along and build some short term work accommodation puts the pipes in the ground. They put the sewerage and the water and they put the telecommunications and the electricity, all the infrastructure that's needed in the ground. They put that in there for what the long term outcome for that area will be. And then in the short term, they build more housing than that area is designed for. And then at the end of that, that housing might be removed. And the normal housing that was always designed for is put in, but, oh, we've already got all the underground infrastructure. So that then suddenly becomes a cheaper way to get some housing in some various areas. So Mm -hmm. that developer, or it might be council, or it might be someone that's set up specifically for that accommodation, says, well, we've paid for all of that infrastructure on the ground. Those blocks of land that might have been $300,000, we're now happy to sell those blocks of land for Mm, $100,000. Again, don't hold me to these numbers, the numbers that are hypothetical numbers, but you get the idea that you can use that land in different ways. Mm. So you might put, and I use the word donger, but, I was the going to modern equivalent. The, equipment the, the,
0: the typical Donga sort of style accommodation, you're going for the mining type setups where they almost like have a, a campsite set up within all the Dongas around the place. The infrastructure could still be placed, you say, for probably lower density housing down the track, but yeah. in, a, in, in a, I wouldn't say like caravan park, which you know what I'm talking about, those typical Donga park, big operations, yeah. quite often with, uh, you know, set facilities there to allow people flying and fly out. Is this the type of stuff we're thinking about potentially trying to uh, get set up here in town?
1: And I say the word Donga, but The modern donger is a bit better than the old shipping container. That's right. But it's that concept, if you like, where you do have small accommodation that might suit one or two people to live in that accommodation and then, again, move that accommodation out. So campsites, some councils hate the idea of a campsite, but if you do a campsite right, where you actually have it built for the long-term use of that land, Mm. in the short term, you have a campsite, long-term it reverts back to normal accommodation, Mm. then that can be effective. The other one could be, for example, in an industrial area, you might allow some short term work accommodation. Again, pick a time frame, maybe five years. That industrial area could have short term work accommodation, but when that's finished, that usage of it, then it reverts to something else. So someone could come and build a building mm. that they could design to say, this will be used for office space or this will be used in some way down the track but in the short term I'm going to build this building to have accommodation in there and then we'll use it for something else in five years time when that short-term worker accommodation pulse has gone away. So it it is I think a really interesting way to look at how we take advantage of it. Mm. I don't think we've got all the answers but one of the important parts is it's not the person who gives the answer that wins the Nobel Prize. It's the person who asks the right question Mm, mm. and then gives the answer that wins the Nobel Prize. And in this scenario, we're asking questions. We're asking how we're going to achieve this. We're asking our consultants. We're asking the various proponents of these various projects, what are you going to do about short-term workers? You're going to need... 500, 1,000, thousands of people for your project. Yep. Your project can't actually happen no. without these people. So That's what it. are you doing about it? So all these questions are asking, and the the answers, I can't tell you what they are at no. the moment, but the answers will start to filter out as we get lots of clever people thinking about these I was questions. just thinking in
0: regards to this. You know, you, you're, you're running now your developers forum, those meetings that you, you get together. This, I see, would be another opportunity, I'd suggest, to, to bring in some of these groups, to come into these developers' forums, to get the three parties together again with your council, your developers and the these operations that are coming in here with the Renewable Energy Zone and all these type of things. Because as you say, w- without the accommodation, they don't have an operation running themselves, do they? It, is there anything the council can do here to link developers with these operations as well? Because I'd imagine if I'm a developer and I'm thinking, OK, I've got this parcel of land here, the council is, you know, considering now maybe operating as, as a, as a park-type setup for me to put some dongers in, use that word loosely. Um, but I'm worried about the fact that uh, which group I should be trying to attract to make sure that if I'm going to put this in, I'm going to have these people come in. Is there something council can do with your contacts with these guys, with the the different renewable energy zones, as an example?
1: So, as an example, the Developers Forum, the, the one that we've held yeah. so far, and, and again, we're setting those up again on a regular basis, we did actually just talk in some general terms, and at that stage, we only had anecdotal information, not anecdotal data, but we had some anecdotal information to talk about some of these things that we saw potentially happening. Mm. And certainly some comments from developers at the end of that was, wow, isn't that exciting? We've got all these things happening. I didn't know about that. What opportunities does that bring up? So just by communicating that, just by having those forums alone, there's step one. When we start to look at further information, so Again, the report we had Delos Delta do the report for us. Mm. And so that report is a public document. So you can go in there. We've paid for that particular report. It's sitting there on all our information there in the business papers. So you can go and read that report and go through and see all the analysis, all the information, all the graphs in there that illustrate this. So, again, by doing that, we aren't going to go out and tell developers what to do, mm. but we're providing the information. And one of the important things for council is we can't be everything to everyone. And we do do a little bit of land development, but we're not going to be the only land developer. We're not going to be the only one engaged in this whole process. But what we can do is we can provide the information to allow other people to make decisions based on that information. Now, again, we've got warnings in there to say, don't go and base all your information and your decisions on on what we've provided here. Do some of your own research. We don't want someone building something based on this and then suing us because it didn't work out the way that they hoped it would work out. But it gives them an indication. It gives them some direction. It gives them some way of saying...
0: There's a potential here.
1: Oh, absolutely right. And based on that potential, you go and do your own research. Mm. You go and make your own decisions. You say, well, that's a really good place to go and do some investment Mm. or take advantage of that. Now, that short-term worker accommodation, from a developer's perspective, you may be able to charge more for that particular process, for that particular accommodation than you would for normal accommodation. So when then when you build it down the track for the long-term use, mm. you might be able to charge less money for that but still make more money overall as a developer mm. because you've almost had two separate uses of that same parcel of land. Sure. Again, I'm speculating here, but these are the sort of things that developers go through. And one thing that I find with developers, they're good at looking big picture. They're good yep. at looking at long-term. They understand investments they make today they may not get a return on for a decade but if they can see the potential of all of this and they've got the information to back it up that's a really mm. critical thing here mm. they can make those good investment decisions with all of that information mm. so it's pretty exciting there are some people out there who i know will say to me after they listen to this i don't want them i don't want those extra people i love dubbo the way it is leave it alone and this is probably going to impact wellington more than dubbo mm. so people in wellington might like the way Wellington is at the moment and don't want all this investment in there. But the reality is it's going to happen, but we can take advantage of that. And that's where council sits at the moment is we want to try and take advantage of it. How
0: can we take advantage of it? Absolutely. Now, Matt, the Macquarie Conservatorium of Music. This has been uh, operating here in town now for many years. Um, It appears as though, from what I can gather, that they have to move. Um, the it looks like the New South Wales government has made the decision that uh, they're going to need that site, the current site there, um, for another project. So from the point of view, I suppose, here of Council, this is obviously an, an important part of our community, the Conservatorium. Is there anything that Council can do here to assist with the Conservatorium in regards to finding a, a new place for them to operate? It's
1: a really interesting one here. The Conservatorium of Music is fantastic for our community. Having that artistic or various artistic pursuits in our community I think is really important. All four of my children have gone through the con, three of them learnt piano, one of them learnt guitar and drums, so I think it's been important from our family's perspective and certainly people I talk to in the community value the contribution it makes. Mm. There's a number of them around the state. The Department of Education is often involved with them from a funding perspective, but in, in general terms the state government provides the majority of their funding and then students pay when they go. And it's not just young students. There are adult students that have as well but they pay when they go and in, participate in tuition education there with music. Mm. And obviously there are teachers there who, that's their employment, they're engaged, they might have a, a day job as well, and they might do some work because most of the work for students is done after, after school, school hours, hours obviously. Yes, that's right. So really important there overall. Now, about three and a half years ago, the con was given the bad news that the Department of Education wanted the building back that they were in. If you remember where they're located there, yes. there used to be an infant school there.
0: On the of Darling Street and... And Bulge Bolch Street, yeah. I think.
1: Street. And that location used to be a, uh, an infant school. Maybe it was an yes. infant primary school, but I think infant
0: school. I think it was once a Dubbo Infants, I think it might have been years ago.
1: Something like that. Mm. And it hasn't been used for a long time. The cons has been using it for a long time. The growth in the population for Dubbo has been bad for the Macquarie Conservatorium mm. in one way because the Department of Education said, we want that building back. Mm. We're going to put some other top of school there, whether it goes back to an infant school, I'm not sure. sure. So they were given that three and a half years notice to move out. Council has worked with the Department of Education and the CON to get them a bit of an extension on that. Okay. So they've got till June this year, where they'll definitely be at the end of their lease. Okay, it's and not then, far away, is it, really? It's not. Three and then they've away. got six months after that, where it will be a month-to-month lease. But the Department of Ed might tell them at some time during that six months, sorry, you've only got one month left to go. So they okay. might have till the end of the year, they might have to move out in June. Yep. They talked to Council at some stage during the last Council and said, we need a bit of a hand we're not sure what we're going to do. And so council resolved to help them find some sort of long-term solution for where they might go. It didn't mean that council had to go and pay for a building, buy a building, fit out a building, give them a building that council owned for free, but just give them some help. And Mm. I think council has done that in the past and council has continued to do that. The problem is that, how far do you go in helping an organisation? That is state government funded. It's not local government government funded. funded, It's state government funded, yes. And there are lots of organisations that are good for our community, but council isn't necessarily responsible for funding Mm -hmm. those organisations. So this one here, and I will read part of the resolution from council out in terms of where we're going forward from this. Council resolved at the meeting this week that this council actively investigates ways in which it can support the Macquarie Conservatorium, to find short to medium accommodation. And then further to that, we've got a cultural precinct plan around the Western Plains Cultural Centre. You remember the old Dela City Bowling Club that we own or almost own now.
0: And is it the, one of the Rugby Union Association groups? Is They're doing it, it short yep. term, that's yep. right,
1: in in that area there. So that's where there'll be a, a cultural precinct and that might be some area there that the con could take advantage of as well. And also that council further resolved that we note the valuable education, cultural and economic benefits of the Dubbo region having a conservatorium. So we recognise it's a good mm. thing to have and we're going to investigate ways we can support them, which we've been doing. So the really tricky part about that is that we talked about 69 Church Street, for example. Our staff, once the chamber is freed up and once the chamber moves downstairs, which we've spoken about today previously, that frees up that area there. So there's a spot where maybe the con could go in there. It's a range of small rooms there, which obviously with a con, you want small rooms for people to have tuition. Typically, you might have one-on-one. There might be group tuition as well, but that might be a suitable location. But we've had a valuation on that building mm. worth about seven eight $800,000. Now we mm. can sell that building once we're not using it. Or we could rent it out. Commercial lease on that particular building might be $50,000. The con have said they can't afford that. They might be able to afford to pay $10,000. So if we lease that to the con, mm. that would certainly be helping or, or satisfying our resolution that we actively investigate ways in which we can support the Macquarie Conservatorium. But... That might be, let's say they pay $10,000 for something that we could get $50,000 rent for. There's $40,000 that the community doesn't have access to. So when someone says there's some potholes on Boundary Road that need Mm -hmm. fixing and it's going to be $25,000 to fix those potholes, then we say, well, we could do that if only we had that money coming in from the rental of that particular property, but we're not getting that, so we can't fix those potholes. Now, being overly simplistic there, but it means that effectively the residents of Dubbo – would be contributing $40,000 to the Macquarie Conservatorium of Music. Now, people get confused sometimes. They say, oh, it's okay. You own that building. It doesn't matter if you give it to someone for free or cheaper rent because you own that building. But they're missing the point that we could be generating income from that building. So if you owned a spare house in Dubbo, for example, and I said, oh, Mark, you've got a spare house there. ha. Oh, I'm sick of paying rent. Do you mind if I move into your house rent-free? And you say, well, I own the building. So it's not costing me anything if you move in there, but I could be generating income from that. That doesn't seem quite fair. So getting the right balance there, and I don't know what the exact answer is. What I do know is that the council has said we want the con as part of Dubbo. Absolutely. The council said we should help the con in some way. The council has not said we're going to help them to a certain dollar figure. The council has not said we should support it financially for ten thousand, twenty thousand, a hundred thousand dollars a year. What is the amount we should help yep. them with? That might need to come back to a future meeting of council. So, for example, we might go out and help them actively look for somewhere, and it might turn out that one of our council buildings or a separate building altogether is needed, but they just can't afford the mm. rent, so they need some council support, and we might need to give them twenty grand a year, mm. fifty grand a year, some amount per year. All of that's a bit unknown, but the timeline is getting very short. And I've talked to the board, I've talked to people on there, and I've said that really it's probably a bit disappointing that the board of directors is ultimately responsible for what happens to the Macquarie Conservatorium. It's not the fault of council or the fault of a local member or the fault of anyone in the community. Mm. The board is responsible and they need to take responsibility for that. So as much as we might help them in some way, shape or form, the Con the board of the con is responsible for what happens to the con, and yes. at one stage there there was some discussion where they would have liked to move into our community arts centre. Well, we've got various organisations: we've got University of Third Age and Family History and yep. Steadford and Arala Arts and a whole range of different organisations use those rooms. We could have moved the con into there and moved out those various organisations, but then. Where do they go? And aren't they part of our community as well? So yep.
0: kicking out- Which groups do you financially support, so to speak? In that well, sense but like that. They, and they and all to pay, what extent?
1: That's right. They all pay money at the moment, all those various yeah. groups, pay various funds for those various rooms that might have. But, But is one group more important than mm. another group? Mm. Is one group- because they're there, do they have a preference because they're already there? So there's all those questions that mm. come up. I think we've moved on from moving any people out of those rooms for any of those organisations that mm. are in those rooms now that are yep. worried about it. I think councillors have made it quite clear that we don't think it's appropriate to move out other good community groups for, a, for another community group, Macquarie Conservatorium, to move I su- in.
0: I suppose that there's a couple of other questions I'd like to ask you in regards to it. The, the role of state government in this. Um, if this is a state government-funded operation, the Quarry Conservatorium, that, that receives funding through the state government, and they're, they're currently in a state government-owned building, what's the role of state government with this? Like, why aren't they stepping up to help in regards to the financial situation to help them uh, to move into another building, knowing full well that there's going to have to be rent involved? And I suppose the other part is... <clears throat> When it comes down to grants, um, has the Conservatorium come to council in regards to looking for grants? A lot of grants are always given out in regards to community groups. Uh, has there been any formal submissions by the Conservatorium for a grant to assist in regards to finding a new location?
1: You'd have to. I'll go to the second question first. You'd have to talk to the board yep. about that because, again, they would be the ones responsible for that. Maybe they found it harder given the fact that they don't have a home Mm. to go and get some grants because they might need a grant for fit-out. They might say, we've found a perfect building for us, we can afford the rent, but it's going to cost us half a million dollars to fit it out to suit our needs. We don't have that. That might be where you get some Mm. grants from. But again, Mm. you might need to have a building first. But you can talk to various grant authorities about that process. The first question, one of the meetings we've had, certainly we had our local member in the meeting with council and with the conservatorium. The opinion from the local member seemed to be that Funding is already provided by the state government to the CON. Not 100% funding, mm. but funding is already provided. The CON generates some of its own income separate to that as well. But the local member felt like the state government's already doing its job in providing some funding. So don't keep looking back to the state government for more funding for that. Now, mm. that's there might be different views on that. That seemed to be where that sat in general terms. But yeah. again, yeah, it is a state government-funded facility. It would nice be nice to see the state government come up with some additional funds and having that long-term permanent home. Yeah. There have been some discussions over the last few years, I'm sure, about different locations. But it's one of those things, if, if I owned a business and my landlord said, I've got three and a half years before I am going to be removed from that – my number one focus in business would be to find another home. Mm, mm. And I'm sure there are businesses out there that are being given a lot less time than three and a half years by a landlord to move out. They're coming towards the end of a lease and they might be given three months notice, for example, and they've got to go and find somewhere else. So again, I think there's that self-responsibility. Council will help where it can, but I don't know that it's council's job to be totally and solely responsible. And the resolution from council obviously says that as well. It didn't say that council go and find somewhere and a, Accommodate them mm. and pay for that it didn't say that take complete control of the process. It There'll really just assistance said. Offered. Yeah. Mm. Actively investigate ways in which you can support them core conservatorium to find short to medium accommodation. Yeah. So it it really is what we've been doing already. It just formalized that yes, okay. our staff have been out there helping them, looking around, trying to see what we can find.
0: All right. We don't want to
1: lose the con. No, no, absolutely. But at the same time, there are people in our community who want lots of things for our community, and it mm. all costs money. So, mm. how much do we? How much money do we invest in keeping the con when there's lots of other things people would like money spent on? In particular, potholes, potholes, and potholes. Yes,
0: that's right. Now it looks like uh, there's out at the old Dubbo Regional Airport there. Um, we talk about inflation and costs are going up and all these type of things, um, it looks appears as though there's been a an increase here in regards to the charge uh, to leave Dubbo um, on our planes each week, a 5% rise there um, in regards to it. I think that the rise now, the passenger facility charge has risen to $18.32 to be specific in regards to it. Um, is there a reason why the, the 5% charge was put up this week?
1: Well, it wasn't put up this week. It's a notification because... Normally, all our fees and charges are part of our budget process, Right, but we need to give additional notification to airlines because they have their pricing set further in advance. So typically, when it comes to the budget process, we do set our airport fees before we get to the budget process. And again, it's a notification. Now, we can still change it in the budget process, but it gives an indication to the airline. So when they're doing ticket prices going forward from the 1st of July, that's where they'll be expecting the price increase to okay, so occur.
0: Next financial year, so to speak. Next financial year, that's okay. right.
1: Now, the really interesting thing about this, though, was there was a potential change in the way we were going to charge this airlines. This is the
0: weight thing mm. we talked about last year, wasn't it? Yes. That's
1: right. So there was a, a concept brought forward by our staff. Now, I encourage this. We say to our staff, work out ways we can do things better. Work out other methodologies. Don't just keep doing things same old, same old. Bring those forward. Now, just because they don't go through doesn't mean stop bringing the ideas forward the idea might not have been explored far enough or it might not have been uh, talked with the airlines for example in great enough depth Mm. but bring those ideas forward so the idea that was brought forward was a passenger fee is the way most airlines across the nation across probably the world charge and generate money for an airport when we see a plane land with 74 people on a Q400 that means Council gets 74 lots of, at the moment, $17.45 is the passenger fee that we charge in the current environment. When you look at some mining locations and some mining airports where there's a lot of charter flights coming in and out, some of those airports don't charge a per passenger fee. They just say, we'll charge you a maximum takeoff weight, MTOW, MTO. And then what, it's, just
0: divide that amongst the passengers? Or is that's that... up to them. Okay. The, airport the airport doesn't care. Right.
1: They just say, we're going to charge you a certain number of dollars per tonne for that aircraft. And we do it with our smaller charter flights. If you've got a, a little single engine Cessna out there at the airport and you go and take off, we don't try and work out how many passengers are on yep. that plane. We just charge so a tonne rate. So I suppose
0: the difference would be there is that the, uh, the airlines would be determining the fee, I suppose, based upon what the, the council has told them. This is what you have to pay. So they're going to have to then swing back, back to the passengers individually, depending upon maybe the nature of the flight or uh, how many flights they're going in and out of and things like that. Whereas this one currently right now, there's a set fee per person that the council has sort of set, okay.
1: Yeah, and so for a charter flight into a mining community, you can imagine that the mining company might say, we're going to fly in a certain plane every day, bringing our workers in, and the airport just says, yep, I know you're going to land that plane, and I know the weight of it, so we're just going to charge you a certain amount of dollars. Mm. And if that particular company has five passengers, one day on a plane, and 20 the next day, the airport doesn't care. The proposal put forward by our staff was to have a combination of those two. So have a maximum takeoff weight, $5 $5 per tonne for the plane, and then a reduced per passenger fee. Now, this was really brought about by the impact on our airport during the pandemic. Mm. Obviously, passenger numbers dropped. Airlines across the world, their numbers dropped dramatically. So the amount of income that we had going through the airport dropped dramatically. We were losing money at the airport during the mm. pandemic. And planes were still landing but not many people were on them. Mm. So the idea here was if we had a maximum takeoff weight charge and a per-passenger charge, it evened out the income flow for the airport. So we knew that a certain airline had 48 aircraft landing each week. We know the aircraft they're landing, so we know there's a set amount. And then on top of that, there would be a variable amount for the passengers as well. So that was debated at council in terms of having a combination of those two, councils threw those various ideas around. In the end... They rejected the MTO charge and said a per passenger fee is still a fair way to go. And again, it does seem to be the industry standard. Mm. It means that there's more variability, but there's risk on the airline side when they fly aircraft in with how many passengers might be on there. They've still got fixed charges. They've Mm. still got their pilots to pay. They've still got the fuel on the aircraft to pay. They've got hosties to pay. So there are still fixed charges for that airline, and then the variable charge in terms of how many passengers. But we thought it would encourage more passengers from an airline perspective, and certainly retaining those flights. If there was a airline, for example, that had flights coming in that weren't always that full, they might be at low capacity, they might remove, and this is again the argument from councillors, that might remove those flights, which would mean that we weren't as well serviced mm. by the airlines, mm. so that was a risk. So we thought we'll take a bit of the pain with the airlines when they don't get good yield factors on some of these flights. And if they've got more passengers, then we'll take some of the the wind from that as well. So we thought sharing that pain along with the airlines would be better. But on top of that, let's see how we can promote Dubbo, how we can promote the airlines to have more passengers flying in general because that's good for us and good for the airlines. So it's a good discussion. It is. Good good ideas brought forward by our staff. And ultimately, we've got a decision there now where the – Airlines know that. And yep. we've also put it on the agenda to have further discussions in the future with the airlines to I was see if the
0: Has anyone spoken to the airlines about this and, and what their f- feedback is in regards to this? Do they want this to be the way to go forward? Do they see this as a positive move as well?
1: I certainly had discussions with our two major airlines, Rex okay. and Qantas, about this. And probably from their perspective, one of the issues is an admin perspective. They report how many passengers they have flying on their aircraft to council and pay the fees associated with that. Hmm. The aircraft landings is done by an organisation called Avdata, which, surprisingly enough, has aviation data, Avdata. Yep. And from that particular information, that would then mean there would be two separate admin processes for both the airlines and for council in the way they were charged. So the airlines thought that might complicate things. And I suppose it came down to really exactly what are those numbers mm. from an airline perspective if they could see it was going to be cheaper, depending on the combination of the M-TOW Pretty and sure the they would fee, be coming from that perspective, I'd say. They'd yes. say, we're happy yeah. with that. If it's going to be dearer, they'd say, we're not happy with that. But yes. I think the complication process there, and again, the fact that we'd be really standing out on our own compared to just about every other airport, not quite every other airport, mm. but just about every other airport. So that created separate complication for them as well. So mm. they certainly weren't in favour. We'll have further okay. discussions with them in the future and always looking at ways to do things better. Let's not accept the way things are. Let's see if we can do things better. In this case, it didn't turn out that way, but we'll keep mm. looking at different ways.
0: Moving on to grants in regards to uh, where's some little bit of money to give away? I always like this little part because I enjoy seeing when we have some money to give away to our community groups. And this one I, I particularly like because this comes to the uh, Badangra Wind Farm Community Benefit Fund. Um, this is uh, for, you know, there's 10 applications there for uh, community groups that appears to be in Wellington and in the region of, around Wellington there where there's been $85,000 that has been made available here. And it looks like 10 applications have been put forward. But it appears as only $61,000 was, was given out, out of the 85. Um, what's happened here? Would, do we... Is there a reason why we're $24,000 short on giving away free money?
1: It's terrible when we can't give away you know, the money. Because, how can we not give away money? What's happened there? What's that? <laughs> so we've talked about it before that wind farms have a compulsory component of yes. their consent to have some form of community benefit fund. In this case, the Bodengra wind farm has got $85,000 It's given away each year. Now that goes up with CPI. So this year it's $85,000. And we ask for applications and yes. we want them around the Wellington community. There were some problems with the this particular process in the past where they the council of the day started direct money through to some double organisations, which right. wasn't really the idea of it. It wasn't yep. illegal, but it was really meant to be in the area where the actual project was. So sure. really, it makes sense to keep it around Wellington. That's the logical process. There's a committee that processes all these applications and then it's sent to council yep. for final resolution just to give it that... Openness, that transparency, and make Mm. sure there's accountability so you don't just get a committee with a few friends together Mm. saying, oh, let's give Mm. it to our buddy and that'll all be okay. So there is that that process. So we did receive 10 applications. They totaled, as you said, $61,206.28 of the 85000 available.
0: Yeah, yeah. We just didn't have enough applicants? Or? We didn't have enough applicants. Wow. That's exactly right. Now, we folks, do get have, out and apply, please. We,
1: that's right. We do have a minor issue that the committee has asked us to look at, asked council to look at. Mm. We have a limit of $10,000 maximum per any individual application. Okay. So there were a couple that actually hit that $10,000 and a couple that went very close to that. Mm. So maybe lifting that $10,000... Limit would be a good thing. And that might mean you get some bigger projects as well out of that. So that was one issue, but not enough applications. The 10 applicants that came in Mm. were all awarded the money that they wanted. And it it goes to show you when you get a really active community, then you get some significant funds going Mm. that way. Town has actually got two different community groups. Oh, nice. Now- that can Such be a little town too. For a yeah. little village yeah, yeah. to have two groups. There's the Stewart Town Advancement Association, Inc. Right. and the Stuart Town Action Group, Inc. Oh. So they've got two groups that are focused on progressing Stuart Town. But each of those groups got some money. So Lovely. you would say that Stewart Town did quite well yes. out of this particular process. Yes, yes. But it goes to show you, there's obviously a couple of different groups of people yeah, there. They're very yeah. active and very involved in Stuart Town. And that's yep. fantastic. So there are a range of groups that were given money. But yes, I would encourage if you're a group, mm. read the criteria. Yep. The good news is we don't just lose that money. That money will go forward so that the next round of funding okay, so that comes out- Okay, so it
0: could be increased to whatever, $100,000 next time around. So there's correct. more money. Yeah, there's yeah. more money. More well, reason to the same
1: amount of money, but just distributed in yes. different years. Yes. One of the things that I'm really keen to see is some way that we can get bigger projects happening. Now, mm. this is $85,000. That sounds great. But as we see more of these projects happen in the Wellington area, now, unfortunately, you're probably unlikely to get money from solar farms, unlikely to get money yeah, from so we've batteries. talked about this. is a, a right. real bee in the bonnet sort of stuff.
0: It is. discussion, isn't it, eh?
1: But we will get money from the wind farms. But as that builds up, yeah. $85,000, it starts to build up to be hundreds of thousands, maybe Mm. millions of dollars around mm. the whole area there, mm. then I'd love to see some major projects. And one of the little thought bubbles I've had, which I've talked to some of these various proponents about, is that the example with the Parks Telescope, mm. that was built purely for scientific reasons, but they added on a visitor centre yes. and an educational facility. I'd love to see something like that happen around the Bedenga area yes. where there might be some sort of facility that's built there where school groups came through from various areas and learned about renewable Absolutely. energy. Ah. Visitors yeah. went along there Huge and, potential. And, yeah. and learned about different things. There might even be some sort of thing where you could abseil down something that looked like a wind turbine, not yeah. an actual working one,
0: obviously. <laughs> yeah. But a might whole range. of work together very well. No, some might, poor child. Wind turbine. I don't want to do the WHS report on that one. No,
1: that's right. <laughs> but I, I think, again, that might be where you can get some of these community benefit funds. Yes. Putting things into bigger projects rather than lots of. Small groups that are great for those small groups. You know, the rugby club, for example, the Wellington Junior Redbacks Rugby Club got some money. Mm. They might put that towards New Jersey's or New Footy Boots, that sort of thing. And that's great for those communities. But what I want to see is long-term, lasting benefits. People still go to visit the dish now. Yes. So all those years ago when that was built, and you know that obviously the telescope was built before the moon landing, Mm. so it's obviously been there for a long time. So people are still visiting Mm. now. So that's what I want to see had a bit of of an entrepreneurial
0: these, vision there for some of these groups as well, maybe, to sort of see which way you could go with this and the potential. And there's funding available. That's, that's right.
1: And, and again, imagine in a decade or two when you've got accepted now, you've got a renewable energy zone there, You you see wind turbines and you see solar yeah. panels, but someone looks at some sort of facility there that's giving long-term economic benefits into the community saying, well, that money that we had all those years ago We've got this long-term benefit rather than just, oh, yeah, we bought some new soccer shirts, and, well, now those soccer shirts have worn out. Well, what did that do long-term for the community?
0: Something that can actually make money for themselves down the track as well. Now, notice here, Matt, uh, you met with representatives from the New South Wales Aboriginal Lands Council during the week. Now, this was... um Obviously, there's a number of reasons I suggest you probably had a bit of a chat to these guys. Um, obviously, during the week, uh, our Prime Minister announced uh, a bit more detail about the um, the upcoming constitutional vote uh, in regards to the potential yes vote uh, or no vote, depending which way you want to go. The meeting with the Aboriginal Lands Council, um, just a little bit of details in regards to how that went.
1: So, it was a combined meeting, the New South Wales Aboriginal Lands Council, representatives of that and the Dubbo Aboriginal Community Working Party, And one of the things that certainly, there are some people out there, some groups out there want to push a certain process, whether it be a yes vote or a no vote, Mm. and that's up to those individual organisations to push those agendas if that's Mm. what they're after. And so that's fine. It's a democracy we live in, people have got the right to do that. So this particular group wanted to meet with, well, first of all, they actually asked to talk to the CEO, but the CEO said it was more appropriate to meet with myself as the as the spokesperson for the elected body. Yep. And they wanted to see whether the council could support the yes vote and then, having done that, go through a council resolution, support the yes vote, and then have some sort of community day launch around that. Does now,
0: council, is, is this, sorry to interrupt you there, mate, is, is council able to take a position on something like this when it comes to a constitutional reform?
1: They could, but whether or not they should yes. is the important question. Before the meeting, I did actually have an informal discussion with our councillors. So there was no resolution, and I didn't want it to go to a resolution at this stage. I wanted to just have some sort of informal discussion. And Mm. I said, I'm having this meeting coming up. We can go whatever way you like, whatever way. Again, my job is to represent what the councillors want to do, not me just go out there as a renegade mayor and say, I'm just going to do whatever I want, and Mm. bad luck to the rest of you. It's really my job to make sure I'm representing the views of the councillors. So I had a discussion, and I said, we've got some options here we could go out and have a vote at council and say we want to support the yes vote and if a majority support that, then councillors out there saying that this is what we do and encourage the community. Or we could go for a no vote if you want or we could not do anything at all or we could go out there and encourage education, the whole range of different options we could do. So we could do all of those different things. Councillors said pretty clearly that it wasn't really appropriate, they believed, for a council group to go out there and try and influence the way people might vote. It'll be the same as the election we've just had, the state government election. If the councillors sat around and said, we think you should all vote for Billy Bloggs or a certain candidate or a certain mm. party, mm. then I don't know that's what a council should be doing. And mm. again, council said for a referendum, everyone goes in and votes in a referendum the way they see fit. They don't think, or councillors don't think, it should be trying to be directed by council. We want everyone to vote mm. yes or no, whichever way you want. We want everyone to vote a certain way in this upcoming referendum, because a referendum is all about each individual mm. voting the way they want. The other thing, which I hadn't really thought about, the other mm. thing some councillors said is that a referendum is private. It's a confidential mm. vote. You Absolutely. go in anonymously, confidentially, put a tick against a yes or a no box, and then put that ballot in. Yeah, You've done your job as a resident of this community or mm. a resident of this nation. At a council meeting, you put your hand up mm. for the world to see. You may not want people to know whether you're voting yes or no, but here you are at a council meeting. just made meeting, it very
0: public what it's going to
1: be. Made it very public. That's exactly right. So the councillor said, we don't think we should be out there representing a yes or a no vote. Mm. But they did actually say, we think it would be important for council to really encourage education. Make sure you find out... Around the voting and the, the process the and what it's all about. Are yep. you registered? Make yep. sure you learn about what a yes and a no mean. What yep. what are these implications of these votes? This is a really important vote. Mm. So council said we should get involved in some way, shape or form in encouraging and educating our residents, but yes. certainly not involved in a yes or no. So with that in the back of my mind, mm. I met with the representatives who obviously... For some strange reason, are really supportive of everyone out there supporting the yes vote. It was probably fair to say that I wasn't, the information I had for them wasn't overly enthusiastically received. Sure. <laughs> but that's my job. My job is to represent yep. the views of council, yep. whatever they might be. I had the discussion, explained where councillors sat. Now, that doesn't mean that's the end of it. And they did ask hmm. what's the next step for them if yeah. they want to go forward. Any councillor can bring a notice of motion forward to a council meeting. They need to have someone to second that. There can be debated at council and then there can be a vote on that at the end of it. So I said, if you feel strongly about this, you've got to find a councillor who will bring this forward to council, someone to second that, and then encourage six councillors to vote a certain way at the council meeting. That's democracy.
0: Mm.
1: Councillors can do that. Councillors might vote differently. Again, I've had some informal Mm. discussions. I I haven't had any, I don't have any resolution on the books as such. Mm. But again, councillors seem pretty clear that we shouldn't be involving ourselves in saying which way people should vote. I know other organisations are doing that. Other councils mm. may well do that as well. Mm. I'm not the spokesperson for those councils. No, I'm the no, spokesperson not. for a group of 10 councillors, and that's where they sit on. And and can I just also say,
0: say, sorry there, but if I also say too, exactly what you just said there, you are the representative of 10 councillors who have been put in and voted for to represent the entire Dubbo community now within that Dubbo community you're going to have people who are going to say yes who have very strong opinions on the yes and you have people with very strong opinions on the no we, we know that you represent all those people that's that's the reality there's, 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 take all the emotion out of it that's that's the facts that you're in there to represent everybody therefore to take a stand on this i can understand too why councillors turned around and councillors have turned around and said well We represent us all. So therefore, from our point of view, we have to be shown to represent us all. Not a certain position, but everybody in regards to what the process is. What can we do? We can teach people that this is what's coming up. We can teach them the importance of wanting to have a vote and have a say on this. Whether you're yes or whether you're no, that is your right to have that as yes or no. And as a representative, you have to represent all of that.
1: And don't underestimate the importance of this vote. And councillors certainly don't want to make this seem like it's not important, so we don't want to be involved in it. It is an incredibly important vote. I would suggest that any time there's a referendum or any time there's a constitutional referendum, it's a very important process, and you need to really think about it and make sure you're getting all the information and voting the way that you see fit. Now, out of 44 of these referendums that we've had in Mm. Australia, only eight have been successful, Mm. so there's not a great track record there. But again not to trivialise it, not to dismiss it, but really to make sure that we also know as councillors what our position is. We aren't the federal government. We aren't going there telling the federal government what to do. We're representing our community. Yes. So, yes. again, we'll see what happens. We'll have some something come forward where we'll be encouraging our residents to be educated on this, to learn about this. But at this stage, our councillors have said that they're not going to go out there and tell the community that we're going to encourage a yes or a no. Hmm.
2: One of the enjoyable
0: parts of the job I'd suggest is when you get out there, Matt, and you get to meet members of our community who are out there really striving and doing well in whatever area of uh, enterprise they're in. And that also includes university students. Now, the University of uh, the Sydney School of Rural Health is located here in Dubbo itself. We've got a wonderful campus set up in there. Now, you had the great pleasure during the week to go out and meet a number of these students. Um, and I suppose just to find out how they're going, how, how their study's progressing. Um, are they finding any benefit of obviously working out here in Dubbo? Uh, and how are their results comparing maybe to against the, the kids who are studying there in Sydney?
1: It's something that I used to do a lot in my previous time as mayor really get involved with the School of Rural Health because at one stage, they actually were undersubscribed. So when Sydney University, medical students studying in Sydney, were given the options in years three and four to go to various rural locations, so Dubbo was one, Orange is another one, for example, then they found the number of students and they needed at that time, they had 16 students year three, 16 students year four, they were getting... Five people applying for Dubbo or seven people applying for Dubbo. Not many at
0: all, was there? Not many.
1: So I worked with the university here and I said, I think we're underselling Dubbo. I think people don't understand. Maybe we need to do something to encourage. So we started this process where they would bring a bus trip out. Now, basically what they said to the students was, we're going to take a bus trip out. You're going to have a free weekend, have a good fun time for people that are interested in going to regional areas. So right. it wasn't that hard to fill up a bus, maybe even two buses sometimes, yep. Yep. and get people out at regional areas. And so what I said well, was...
0: University students, bus trip, parties together. Yeah, pretty sure you, you get a pretty good the nail response. You <laughs>
1: right. Now, I said, I want to go along and talk to these students about Dubbo hmm. and just give them a bit of a snapshot and encourage them to come along and really let them have a look at what was out here. As a result of that, and and I certainly went along and talked to them, and I used to take along a few free gifts, call it bribery if you like, some Dubbo coffee mugs, that type of thing. In fact, one year I remember the timing didn't work out. We happened to be in Sydney where my kids were competing in the state athletics championships and the bus trip was in Dubbo that same weekend, so we just... Couldn't I couldn't be in Dubai at the same time. I couldn't get it all lined yep. up.
0: Family priorities, understandable. Well,
1: that one was, and it was a tough one. We couldn't just, I couldn't just ignore that yes. particular one for the kids. But what I did was I lined up with them to meet the bus at a car park on the way. Oh, right. We yes. made it seem like a random occurrence <laughs> that in <laughs> oh, a car park the that the Here bus just happened to to pull up in, I just happened to be there and, oh, look, but we're getting I, out yeah, for a stretch of the legs. Of there it is. Well, and I did, and so I had my kids there in the car, <laughs> and so their job is to take around all these presents. Oh, lovely. But I've actually had some of those students who have gone on and end up in Dubbo say that The most memorable experience I had as a student was randomly, they sit on the side of the road, but it it was in a car park, (laughs) there's this mayor that jumps out and starts talking to them about Dubbo and all the rest of it. Dubbo Santa Claus, here he is. That's (laughs) right. So that worked very well and they got to the stage where they were oversubscribed and I'm not taking full credit for that. I think the bus trip and I think what the staff at the University of Sydney did was fantastic. but, But certainly all of that part of the picture. Yeah. We're now at the stage, very exciting. Last year was the first year where they started doing the intake, not at year three, Mm. but at year one. So the entire four years of their medical degree can be done from Dubbo. And they've now got 24 students at each year. So that's incredibly
0: exciting. And I suggest there's competition for those places now too.
1: To give you an idea of how much it's changed, Mm. there was something like, 300 applications wow. for the 24 places wow. in year one. And I'm sure that will be you it's come through. a long way from
0: the three or four we did get. That's, that that's it. right. Yes. Exactly
1: right. And it's, it's again, very exciting to see all of that happening here in Dubbo. Mm. So I don't need to go along and encourage people to come out anymore because that's all changed. But I did say this year, I said, has that happened? Have people gone along, any from council gone along, just to welcome them to Dubbo mm. the last few years? I mm. said, no, it hasn't been happening for a few years. Okay, let's start that again. So this was really a chance for me to welcome those new students and some of the ones that have been here for a couple of years just to say hello and and come along. I did go along last year to do a a bit of an informal welcome. They had a function at the Milestone Hotel so I actually turned up at that function to say welcome but it wasn't a formal process. This was much more formal and again, I do love to take the opportunity to to make a bit of a joke to say, even when we used to try and encourage them to come along, I would say, well, here I am. It's great to see that you're potentially looking at Dubbo in this case, coming to Dubbo and it's so important that I think as the mayor of Dubbo, I need to come along and welcome you here. And look, I'm sure the mayor of Orange, for example, and the mayor of other of these locations would come along and do the same. And I, and I knew they didn't. Yeah. I could see a few blank looks and, oh, what? Isn't it important enough for Orange for the <laughs> mayor to come along and say <laughs> hello and welcome you? And again, I could use the same humour this time yes. around because I know I'm the only mayor from all these regional locations that comes on mm. and really welcomes them there. So great activity, great event to go to, lovely hearing from them. Of course, MED now at Sydney Uni is a post-grad degree, so Mm. these students are a bit older than your typical uni students. They've all got at least three years under their belt with their undergrad degree and some a bit longer than that. So it's getting to the stage where these doctors are are probably more experienced in life.
0: How are they going out here? Are they able to compete against the Sydney University kids? Is, Is the standard as good?
1: Well, that's one of the really exciting things is I know one year, years ago, they told me that, year three students there, that particular year, Mm. three of the top 10 students across the whole couple of hundred students for Sydney Uni were here in Dubbo. Wow. And I spoke to some of the students at that time and they said there are some huge advantages, but I actually asked for some results this time in terms of how the students went, the first group of year one students coming through. So for example... When you looked at students studying their anatomy and astrology, they certainly outperformed the general cohort. So that was fantastic. And those disciplines in particular were taught by Dabo academics. So even though some of those students in Sydney were Mm. relying on some of the Dabo teachers, the fact that the students had those teachers here, Mm. better access to those teachers. Yep. A smaller cohort, so better access there. So that yes. obviously was something very exciting, and and obviously much better. You also found that when you looked at the clinical examinations, all the double students got through their clinical examinations. A small number of the cohort overall actually failed their clinical examinations. Oh wow! And again, okay. some yep. of those clinical studies, some of the simulators we've got here in yes. are fantastic. And so again, the clinicals
0: like that bedside manner, yeah, and all that, that sort of, sort of thing. Stuff, yeah, rather like, yes. than
1: the the book exams, yes. this is more the clinical exams. Yep. Here's what's happening. And I've le- seen some of the simulators. They're pretty exciting yeah, yeah. what you can yeah. do with them. So the blood pressure's dropping or the heart rate's changing. What do you do here? And so they're using these simulators mm. with students that, that hope been yeah, in real-life scenarios with yeah. the doctors they've been training under to then analyse what's happening. And, and all this
0: is here in Dubbo right all now. This,
1: some of the facilities out there are absolutely fantastic. Wow. So that was good from that perspective. In terms of the satisfaction as well, they mm. do satisfaction surveys, mm. The average satisfaction level for students here in Dubbo is 4.3 out of 5 Mm. across the entire cohort of Sydney Uni medical students it was four out of five. So oh, a little better bit Better on that front too. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So again, good results overall. Yeah. The students love it. They they become a very tightening group very quickly. You can imagine 24 students, you're sharing information, mm. you're working together with each other in that small cohort. Across the couple of hundred that you might have across those, you, mm. you might not meet some of those people at all. Whereas this group, they absolutely know each other. The the year one students do live up there on campus. Yep. The other students, as they go through the years, end up living out in the a, community. A
0: typical sort of university set the way that happens. That's yes. right. And
1: I have talked to them in past years, and they've done this. They've taken me up on the offer, and I've made the same offer again. I want to see School of Rural Health, Sydney University students in teams in Dubbo, at various sports, but with hmm. the name of that team linked directly to the university. It's a great idea. So netball yeah. teams, touch yeah. footy teams, ultimate Frisbee teams, whatever. And I've yes. said, as council, we will pay for the shirts for example for these mm. as long as they're called that particular university because mm. I want people in Dubbo yeah. to know that we've got that I make the same offer to Charles Street University students I want people to know that Absolutely. we've got these universities yeah, here yeah. in Dubbo I think it's great for people to know because a lot of people in in Dubbo don't know that no, we've got no. Charles Street that University that we are a university town yeah that we've yeah. got these places here so yeah. anyway very exciting and good luck to them they're going really well so oh, far
0: that's wonderful to hear
2: well, Max, it's getting that time
0: of the day. It's time for the Limerick. So, Matt, what have you got for us this week, my friend? Uh, anything in particular that's uh, sort of really tickled your fancy this week? Sure. I thought I'd do it
1: on the fact that we had a council meeting, and there were a few important things to talk about the council meeting. We talked about our airport. We talked about the conservatorium and somewhere yes. for people to stay. So I thought I'd – and a Limerick – I love the Limerick concept because you haven't got much room to actually no, say no, it's, it's, to it's say. a
0: very structured little piece of poetry.
1: So here's what I came up with trying to combine all that into one oh, memory.
0: this could be very clever.
1: A council assembled with zest to ponder what course was the best. Airport fees we'd review, music rooms to accrue, and accommodations for workers addressed.
0: Oh, nicely done. Well, you've done very, very well there to manage to sort of bring all of those elements into the one shot. Well, folks, it's time to go. It's time to say goodbye. And it's time that the fact that this week leading up, have a wonderful week. Enjoy yourself. Get out there, as always say, and enjoy this wonderful community we live in. Until next week, everyone, take care. Merrill Memo with Matthew
1: Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council.